going to wrap up our series on emotions. And I know this has been um, four weeks or six weeks to cover a four-week sermon set, thanks in part to a hurricane and then some other stuff, you know. But um, but I'm excited to sort of be wrapping this up. We're going to take a deep dive today into one particular part of our emotions. That thing is pretty polarizing because when I say it, and I say what, what we're jumping into, you either say, you know, yeah. Yeah, that one's me, and, and I live there all the time. Or I, I think some of us hear it and say, well, okay, you know, I don't really, that's not really a problem for me. Um, but I think that no matter where you fall, even if you think this one's not you, I think there's a little bit of a struggle here for all of us in this. Um, when I was a kid, you guys, some of you guys, this may have been like right in between some of you, but when I was a kid, um, I remember when the Adidas pants were a big deal. Does anybody remember those? The three-stripe pants? And I wanted some Adidas three-stripe pants like you would not believe. And uh, my mom decided, I told my mom about them, and, and I was hoping to get a pair. And she comes home, she's gotten me new pants and a new pair of shoes. And so I'm, I'm pretty excited. I get them out, and you know what she got me? Does anybody, if you, you know, I got the two-stripe. You know what I mean? The two-stripe. Look, you it was a big deal. If you showed up with two-stripe, I mean, you were the biggest loser. So I got two-stripe, but I knew better. I didn't want to get in major trouble with my dad, so I knew not to complain. So instead, I was just never going to wear them. She got me the two-stripe pants, and then in 1998, she got me a... Uh, a, you know the old, they're kind of coming back now, when everybody wore the white tennis shoes and they were huge, they made your feet look like clown shoes, you know, like the 1980s big white shoes. She got me a pair of those. They were Reeboks. And nobody wore Reeboks. I can't believe they still exist. And she bought me a monster pair of Reeboks. And then the next day, I'm like in the sixth grade, I'm getting ready to go to school, and she's laid them out. <laughs> And I'm like, no way. I managed to not wear them for half the school year. And then one day, my shoes got holes in them. They were looking bad. She throws them out, and and the day comes that I finally have to wear them. And I go to school looking like a a 1980s music video and what's essentially like track a tracksuit pants and big, tall, white shoes. And I, I was dying for a way to not have to walk into school, but she dropped me off right at the front, and everybody's right outside. And I could not have been more ashamed to walk into school that day. Um, so we're talking about shame. <laughs> and I was pretty... My mom consistently did things like that. She had no idea what was cool. And, you know, I got... If you see pictures of me, I had bowl cuts. I mean, perfect bowl cuts. Because my mom thought those were still in. Like, they were popular. And so lots of shame all throughout. But so when we dive into shame, you know, some of it's momentary and some of it's small like that and some of it's just really simple embarrassment. But some shame is a lot bigger than that. And sometimes shame is really deep. Sometimes shame leads to self-harm. Sometimes shame leads to depression. Sometimes it's just a funny memory. But when we jump into shame, uh, we'll be clear, shame comes from a lot of different places. Sometimes people feel shame because of something you did. Some harm that you caused somebody, some maybe crime that you committed. Maybe it's sometimes it's just a, a way that you were poor in a relationship. You know, you you were a bad spouse or you were a bad parent, and 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 you you were just poor in that relationship. So you have shame around that person for the way that you've treated them. 
So sometimes we have shame for that kind of thing. Sometimes a history of alcohol or drug abuse. You know, you people with shame because of the way that they've treated other people as a result of that. So we have shame because of what we did. We have shame because of what's been done to us. A lot of people have been through some significant abuse. And you begin to believe that, that that's your value. You deserve to be treated that way. And so people are shameful. Maybe you've been treated in a way that, that made you feel really worthless and it happened so often and over and over again it began to seep into your soul and you believed that your value was somehow not as high. Sometimes we feel shame from that. Sometimes people feel shame over things they have no control over. A disability, you know, infertility, uh, having a less than glamorous Hollywood body, you know, we feel shame because we just don't have that look or that kind of thing that, that we wish that we did. And the last one, the one that, that really grabs me is some of us are really shameful towards our faith and really shameful to be people who live it out. And we've been given this greatest gift of salvation and we've been given this commandment to share it. But some of us, if we really, if we really pressed would have a hard time remembering the last time or the first time that we talked about how Jesus saved us. Though it was the greatest thing to ever happen to us and the greatest thing that could ever happen, we're just not very good about sharing it. Sometimes we just don't want to be overly associated with our faith. Overly associated, you know, like we're somehow a fanatic. Or we don't want to be seen in a certain light. Or we want to be embarrassed in front of people or we don't want to be a little bit rejected, or any number of other things like that. Luke 9.26 says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of God will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You get the big idea? Like being ashamed of your faith is a huge deal. But no matter what it is, a lot of us are carrying around some kind of shame and feeling like... See, the idea is sometimes we feel guilt. And guilt is when we've done something wrong and we feel bad about what we did. But shame is altogether different. Shame is when we've, we've done something wrong or something's been done wrong to us and, and we feel like we are now worthless. The thing we did wasn't so bad, but we are bad. And we walk around with some sense of shame consistently. In Luke chapter 8, verse 40... You meet this woman, and you meet this woman in Luke chapter 8, and, and she, in her feelings of shame, are likely much greater than any of ours. Significant sense of shame. So in Luke chapter 8, Jesus has just begun his, his earthly ministry. There's just a few stories before this that you read of Jesus. He's just begun to go around. He's begun to heal people, and word is beginning to get out that, that we don't know exactly who this guy is, but definitely he has the power to heal people. And that alone as it would now, it did then, people wanted to come see Jesus. So he's beginning to become really kind of famous. And so right at the beginning of that, you come across this encounter. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. It says, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately his bleeding stopped. Uh, we're going to read on, but, but that thing is pretty interesting. How about this? You have this guy, a rich synagogue ruler, 
So that means he's a synagogue ruler. That means he's wealthy. He's a person of importance. He's incredibly influential. He's stately. You see him in this passage running. And in this day, you would never see an important person running. You would never catch them, catch them uh, moving quickly and, and in a way that would signify that something was wrong. Yet you see this guy coming to Jesus and you see him falling flat on his face. Something that the synagogue ruler yet again would never do. But he just knows that in this moment his 12-year-old daughter is dying and the only answer, he's finally come to realize the only answer for life's biggest problems cannot be solved by him. It must be somebody else. In this case, he runs to Jesus. So you've got him, and then secondly, you've got this woman whom no one knows. Interestingly, we say the name of, of Jairus in the story. We don't say the name of the woman, and we don't say the name of the woman because nobody would have cared. You ever listen to a story at work? Somebody's telling you a story about something 